0: Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health Podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard-to-treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible. Whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people you know who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing which is really important is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast and it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way iTunes ranks us highly. Other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend, head on over to iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. All right, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, folks, it's Dr. Gersmar from Aspire Natural Health. I'm excited today. In this show, we talk and in my day-to-day practice, we're focused on the human side of the equation, so treating the people. But Research and all, just all our personal experience knows that our four legged and even not so four legged companions in our lives play a really crucial role in our health, well being and connection and bringing a lot of joy to people's lives. And some people have gotten the, the concept that what works for us could also work for them. But I find a lot of people come to accept the idea of whatever you want to call it, holistic, integrated, natural medicine uh, for the treatment of human beings, uh, but that same kind of thought process hasn't necessarily percolated over um, to that holistic, integrated, natural treatment of the pets and other animals in their lives. So today, I'm really excited to sit down with Dr. Richard Palmquist. He is an integrated veterinarian. He has a very interesting story that I'm going to let him share with you in active practice, active, busy practice now, um, seeing a lot of patients. So he's going to have a lot of great information to share with us today. I wanted to briefly, Share, uh, you know, an experience I had with holistic veterinary care, and this was a while ago. I believe this was in 2001, so this was about 15 years ago. I was just kind of starting. I'd gotten really interested in holistic human care. Uh, And we had a cat at the time with a lot of eczema or skin conditions. And we were seeking some options other than just putting the cat on steroids at the time. And so we hit the internet, which back then was not the amazing thing that we know it now, um, and looked all around. We were living in San Diego, Southern California at the time, big city. uh, And we found exactly one holistic and alternative vet at the time, which was about 45 minutes away from our house. We made the trek. Uh, She was very busy, very booked up at the time. We made the trek up there. um, And uh, honestly, it wasn't a great experience. Her bedside manner left a tremendous amount to be desired. But I remember uh, she got some acupuncture needles into our cat. She did some chiropractic adjustments of him, recommended some changes. And the biggest thing that came away from that was talking about the food that we fed our cat. Now, it's a no-brainer every day I talk to human beings about the food that they're eating and that food can cause either health or illness in people. I know a concept that's still highly debated in the human medicine world, But a lot of us didn't stop to think that, hey, wait a second, what we're feeding our pets. And for example, you know, the paleo diet, a lot of people who are listening to this show are proponents in one form or another of the paleo diet or the idea that grains may not be the best for human beings. But when we think about cats, so there's, you know, people are all over the place, whether humans are vegetarians or carnivores. And and honestly, I'm tired of that discussion. We are omnivores, we can eat uh, meat, we can eat vegetables. Enough said there. But cats are what's called obligate carnivores. They are carnivores through and through. um, And if they don't have some of those nutrients in meat, uh, they they can't survive. I know Dr. Palmquist can talk uh, much more in depth about that. But it was the idea that, hey, wait a second, something that we're feeding our cat and we were just buying kibble, normal cat food from the store, not even thinking about it. And when we made that change, We actually switch that cat to a raw food diet. That eczema, all those issues... 100% 100% went away for that cat. So for the rest of that cat's life, uh, and he lived to be 18 years old. He was the cat that uh, that we just lost a few months back. Um, he never had those issues again. And it was 100% related to diet. When we took him uh, for some boarding, and they switch, uh, despite our orders, they switched him back to a kibble-based diet. All that itching, all that scratching, all those skin conditions came back. We switched him back. Uh, they went away again. So... It just makes sense. We're all living beings, and by and large, what works for us works for them. What works for them works for us as well. Enough said in my intro here. I want to bring Dr. Palmquist in. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Rick.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure. I was really surprised when you reached out to contact me. I'm super happy to get a chance to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. You are, you know, in, in a really good way, a prolific uh, Twitter poster. And I see you combining both putting out a lot of science space because, again, for a lot of people, they think, well, there's no science behind integrative natural alternative medicine. And, and the fact is you almost have to be <clears throat> willfully ignorant Uh, to to say something like that or not go uh, to to the scientific literature and look. And also, um, you speak very from the heart about, you know, our four-legged and not so four-legged friends, so I knew I wanted to have you on. Um, Can you tell us, how did you make the transition from kind of conventional veterinarian into the work that you're doing today?
1: Well, it's, it's actually kind of a fun story. Um, I never in a million years would have thought that I'd end up doing integrative medicine. And mm-hmm. and it, it's funny how much uh, difficulty we have over just what we call it. You know, yes. mm-hmm. it's complementary and alternative medicine, alternative medicine, traditional medicine. Right. Are, are the old practitioners doing herbal medicine, traditional practitioners? Or are the conventional guys doing conventional medicine, conventional practitioners, traditional? I mean, right. we get so many arguments. Right. I actually, I actually was attacked early in my career. Mm-hmm. I was teaching um, the subject, and we were talking about when we start doing these procedures, whatever we call them. Right. We have patients that we're going to die that don't die. Mm -hmm. And so there was not a good term that communicated to people what we were doing. And so I used the term hospice initially when I was teaching and say, so if you see a patient who's got cancer and you treat them and they're supposed to be dead in six weeks and they live two years, what do you call that, right? Right. If you call it complementary alternative medicine, the people who don't want to hear about it won't come to the lecture. Right. If you call it it unusual approaches, then they still don't come to the lecture. (laughs) Right. So we... People were interested in hospice, and so we, we, we started calling it hospice, Okay. and I actually got attacked by uh, the head of the forming hospice association, hmm. because what we were doing wasn't hospice, because by definition we were doing things that made patients better that wasn't acceptable. So we, it actually it was really funny to get in a, almost a fight on the telephone about the fact that you couldn't call a patient with a terminal disease that lived two years a hospice patient because hospice couldn't go for two years. Right. So we invented this. We actually invented this term, modified hospice,
2: oh, to make the
1: hospice people happy. Right. And, from my perspective, I was just like, "Isn't anybody interested in the fact that these dogs are living longer?" Right. I mean that's the story to me, right. So uh, there's a really old um Indian term right mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. American Native American Indian mm-hmm. uh, terms. they they actually call this thing. It's called right living <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. It's not healthcare. It's not medicine. It's called right living. Right. Um, so, other philosophers call it living well. Mm-hmm. I, uh, one of my favorite Bible quotes from the Apostle John mm-hmm. is this advice that he says, test all things,
2: mm-hmm.
3: keep
1: what's good, right? Right. To me, that's integrative medicine.
2: Yeah. But I didn't
1: start this way. <laughs> I didn't start uh-huh. this way. I graduated from Colorado State University, really amazing clinical school. Mm. I mean, I had nothing but good things to say about the school. Mm hmm. And uh, um, I was selected by the faculty to receive the Upjohn Award, which is the one that they give the outstanding small animal students. So that was that was a really cool thing. And, nice,
3: nice. And and
1: so uh, my point in telling that story is not to brag, but actually to say, you know, I was I was pretty. I was at the top of my class. I did well. Right. I really liked conventional medicine. Right. And I was raised in a science family. My my mother was a dental educator in the public health department, a dental mm-hmm. hygienist. Mm-hmm. Graduated valedictorian of her class. Um, my dad was a microbiologist. He was in charge of the infectious disease laboratory for for the Weld County Public Health Department. I literally was raised in the lab. Mm. You
3: know, literally mm-hmm. Sat mm-hmm. In the lab. My yep.
1: dad showed. Spirochetes from syphilis And culture <laughs> and Gyneria and right. driving autoclaves And all that stuff Right, so, right So really steeped in science And so I knew that there were No holistic practitioners In my hometown mm-hmm. And that meant That holistic medicine Had to be BS Yeah if It was good. They teach it in the best school that I went to, right?
0: Right, and so I have to talented. let me let me just cut in. There's this very dismissive term that I see bandied around in 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 my world that there is no such thing as alternative medicine. There's medicine is what works, and clearly, you know, conventional medicine. It, you know, if if it works, they use it. And if it doesn't work, they don't use it. So therefore, anything they're not using is not real medicine. So it, it's, you know, I, I steams me that that kind of sense. and And we know that that's just absolutely not true. But the idea that if it's real, if it works, uh, the conventional system uses it in anything that, you, you know, again, terminology, whatever you want to call them, integrative alternative. Uh, another term that's coming into use in my world is functional medicine. We're hearing a lot of that term coming yeah. out. Um, you know, then the conventional system uses it. And, and honestly, it's just... Uh, I could rant on and i will stop <laughs> but uh but uh yeah yeah but yeah yeah so i didn't mean to cut you off but absolutely there's this thought process among many conventionally trained doctors of, of all stripes and shades among many people who just haven't looked into it that that we have the 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 conventional medical system is the pinnacle of medicine uh, we have transcended all of the superstition, all of the ridiculous hocus pocus, all of the ineffective treatments. We've filtered them down, taken the cream of the crop, the most advanced things, and that's the medicine. So, therefore, reaching back into traditional medicine, herbal medicines, uh, supplements, nutrients, diet changes—you um, know—is is going backwards. Is uh, so? so I'm going to
1: give you an earful on mm-hmm, that, and, that's, mm-hmm. and we can we can talk about that. Um. Mm-hmm. Quite quite a bit Mm -hmm.
0: because we
1: have access to agents in herbal medicine that there is no drug that can do what the herbal medicines can do. And we have evidence of that. Right. And, you know, part of the evidence for that is that drug companies actually research herbal medications to find new drugs. Yep. And there's a lie in there that if you find one molecule from one herb. That works better than using the whole herb, right. but oftentimes, as you know, the herbs are well evolved with multiple compounds that actually reduce their side effects, increase their therapeutic efficacy. Very, very wonderful thing. Absolutely. And that into this whole gene pool mm-hmm. um, that that I'm very much interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way that I got into this was yes. crazy yeah. because because what what had happened was I uh, started practicing in my in my practice. Um, in Inglewood, California, mm-hmm. um, with a goal to, to practice good Western medicine. That was yeah. what I was, and that's what I knew.
3: Yeah,
1: uh, and I started. Uh, practicing in this area and, and doing proper medicine and got a really good reputation because basically um, we were doing more advanced medicine than the person that I took the practice over from. Mm. And so we'd solved a lot of skin problems by just diagnosing hypothyroidism and taking people off cortisone and
3: mm-hmm. doing
1: some minor changes in their diet and act, putting them on thyroid medication and stuff like that. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we were doing really well. Our practice was growing you know, like like um, like crazy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um one of my really good clients, just a gentle, perfect person, the sweetest, most wonderful woman that you can even imagine conceptually,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: loved her dog and um, believed that DVM or MD or any degree after her name was a synonym for God. Mm-hmm. And so anything spoken by a professional was advised to be taken literally and performed. Incredibly trusting, incredibly beautiful, just perfect woman yeah and he moved out of my practice much to my dismay moved to new york from Mm -hmm. los angeles Mm -hmm. and after a few months one of our mutual friends came in and she said you know we were just doing a really simple rabies vaccination on this dog and she said oh my god did you hear what happened and i was like what are you talking about she goes Mm -hmm. well she moved to new york and i was like oh, my, that's pretty awful. Yeah. And she,
3: she was like, <laughs> uh-huh. You know,
1: we have this battle between Los Angeles and New York. Yep. But yep. So she says, no, 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 it's worse than that. And, and I was like, uh, so what happened? And she said, well, her dog got cancer. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, and she's seeing this quack, crazy snake oil salesman, veterinarian, that's, that's selling her vitamins and minerals and, and all kinds of herbs, and she's spending like five hundred dollars a month on this crap.
3: Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm.
1: I was absolutely incensed, right? Mm-hmm. Because I knew, because I hadn't been taught those things in school, that they they were old medicine, that they were right. antiquated medicine. Right. And we had modern chemotherapy and good things. And how had she got tied up with this guy? And I couldn't actually sleep at night. I, mm-hmm. I was completely incensed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it was like knowing that your neighbor was sexually abusing their two-year-old kid. The mm. kid can't do anything about it. Right. You got to do something. You know? Right, right. But like, well, what do I do? And I thought, oh, you know, it's just time. I can't sleep at night. I'm really disturbed. You know, if life gives you something and you fix on it that toughly, like, it's your responsibility to address it. Right. You need to do something. You can't just call somebody, report and You need to just go out. Right. So I, I thought, well, the first thing I'll do is I'm going to get his license revoked. But okay. the first thing. Is I'm just gonna call him and talk to him. So yeah. I was right, because I called him to talk to him, but my right. purpose was a little twisted. Right. So so I was surprised because he actually came to the phone, you know. So I called him, I said, Hey, you know, like to talk to you? Bam, he came to the phone. Mm-hmm. I said, I hear you cure cancer. And there's a pause for a second. He goes, Well, no, we don't cure cancer. He said, well, what we do is we treat the patient, and when we make their immune system work better, they suddenly get better. I thought, aha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how he gets away with it, right? right? Right. He never makes a promise. He just he just you know says, "Well, we're going to make your immune system stronger," right. And takes money for this thing which you can't measure or do any objective testing on, right. And then when the dog dies, he goes, "Well, we did the best we can," you
2: know? right. Right.
1: So I knew he was a con artist, so that was my view. Hmm. So then I said, I'd, "I'd been involved with some other professional litigation and you know getting people's licenses exposed and so forth." And mm-hmm. so I thought, you know. I'll just contact. I'll just ask him the sixty-four million dollar question. I said, you know, I'd really love to come to your practice and see what you do. Right. Now, that's a difficult question to ask people because most people who are criminal don't want someone to come and see what they do. <laughs> right. Right. He even like he said, yeah, yeah, come out anytime. I'd love to show you what we do. Yeah. And yeah. It blew me away. <laughs> In my twisted mind, mm-hmm. because I knew that what he was doing wasn't right. Right. I thought ah, this guy's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. This is going to be really easy. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just close my practice down, fly out for a couple of days, spend some time with him, get everything written down on the legal pad, turn it into this state of New York, and he'll bang, my profession's clean, and I can sleep at night, everything will be great. Right. So and then he said, oh, wait, wait, but this isn't a good time. And I'm like, aha! <laughs> uh-huh. Now it starts, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He says, no, I'm actually giving a seminar in a couple of weeks. And it's on a weekend. So you could come out like Saturday afternoon. We could go to dinner
3: mm-hmm. and
1: there's a hotel. that's not too far from where I'm doing the seminar. You come spend the day. It's an eight hour seminar. Then when you go to my hospital and see what we're doing, it'll actually make sense. You'll have like some idea about right. the whole thing. Right, right. And I was like, oh, this couldn't be
3: easier, <laughs> right? He's right? gonna oh.
1: lay out the whole operation for me so mm-hmm. that I can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I flew to New York. He picked me up at the airport. Took, took me to dinner, you know, <laughs> bought me dinner. I was like, right. this yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guy's buying dinner for me. I'm like, yeah, this is the end of his career. He doesn't even know, you know. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I just, ah, I just was so fixated on this. So we, anyways, the, went to the seminar on Sunday morning and he comes into the seminar and he jumps up on the stage it's in a nice um holistic practice like a chiropractor's office with a Mm. with a conference center in the back Mm. so it's Mm. a big room and it's Mm -hmm. full to capacity and the little slide projector is in the middle of the room the slide this the the uh, screen is down he comes running in and just very energized guy jumps up on the stage boom you know yeah turns around says hi to everybody and then he starts to to do his talk and then he all of a sudden stops and he looks out in the audience at the back of the room, there's this woman, and he says, excuse me, I'm going to give some pretty important information here, and I wonder if you would uh, mind just uh, uh, telling me, are you okay? You don't look good, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, everyone in the room turns and looks at this woman, and she's completely like, introverted. <laughs> she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. Everything's fine. Um, and, uh, and he keeps persisting. He says, no, no, this is really important. He goes, I don't think that you're like in shape to hear my lecture mm. uh what's going on now he's off the stage and walking back to her and i'm going like what is this this has got to be some show thing you know like mm. some setup thing mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then and then so tell me what's happening she says well i have this headache and He says, where on your head is it and she describes it mm-hmm. and she's and she, she takes her hand away from him and says but it's nobody can about this i've had these migraine headaches my whole life they get so bad i have to go to the hospital and sometimes i have to stay for three days date on dental and he's like oh well just let me have your hand back and while he's talking to the the woman he's massaging this little spot next to her thumb and getting some more information from her and while i'm watching her her skin color starts changing she hmm. starts to go from this pale fallow gray like i'm in pain
3: yeah to yeah. much more and yeah. i'm
1: thinking, wow. This woman is an amazing
3: actor.
1: (laughs) No possibility this stuff could work. Right. I just know the whole thing is a show. Right. So, so anyways, he keeps talking to her and then he says to her, So, how's your head now? And she stops for a second, and you know how people are when they check in on their symptoms. Right. And she sits there for a minute and then she goes, My headache's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, and like everybody in the room goes, Ooh, and I'm going like, shit! (laughs) (laughs) Uh huh. Uh huh. But, but, my mind—I have good observation skills, clinically speaking, as a physical diagnostician. And I'm like, that Mm -hmm. woman changed. Yeah. That was not an act. Like something just happened. I knew I saw something that was important, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't even process it mentally. It just was like, nope. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. And then this guy proceeds to present case after case of tumors going away, this blind cat brought in from the Animal Medical Center, which is like the pinnacle of veterinary medicine in the United States, Mm -hmm. um, documented with the CT scan, um, which we didn't even have access to in those days, Mm -hmm. this big brain tumor. And the cat's blind, and they treat it with herbs and special diet, and the tumor shrinks, and the cat can see, and it lists for a whole long time. Wow. And then just one case after another. Right. Plus, all these cases in these presenter are old dogs, like golden retrievers that are 16 years old, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, things that things that are just, like, inconceivable to me. And I'm going, well, he's obviously cherry-picking these cases, picking his best cases. He's not putting up what really happens. Sure. But I can see how it's going. But internally, like, the, the healer in me is going, it's kind kind of interesting. I can't. I've never seen a case like that. Right. Right. I've never seen a case like that. And they're Kodachrome slides, so these were before PowerPoints and internet stuff. Right. So it was a lot harder to fake things. Mm. So you're going like, you could do it, but I I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. So anyways, went to his practice the next day.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: First case is this this just horrible oral tumor that he's treating with cryosurgery and. And uh, he's all excited and he shows me how nobody's doing crop surgery in the United States, but when you do it, it kills the tumor and that releases um, products from the tumor that stimulate the immune system. And so right. you get these extra controls with it. It works like a vaccine. Right. I don't know what I'm saying. I just know it's disgusting and it smells bad. Right. But the people, are really, the people are really happy with them. And I'm like – Wow, you know, it's he, this guy just promises things, and he does the best, and that's it, and that's how he gets his money. Right. Then we go into the next case, and I'm not going to tell every case that I sure. saw, but the next sure. case is this story changed my life, uh-huh. literally changed my life. Uh-huh. I go in the room, and this dog is owned by, it's a German Shepherd, it's mm-hmm. carried in on a stretcher,
3: mm-hmm. it's
1: owned by a guy who's on the board of directors or chairman of the board for one of the big oil companies. So this guy has as much money as he needs to do anything. Right. And the dog has been with um, Dr. De La Hunta, who's the guy who wrote the textbook that I study when I'm in veterinary school. Mm. And Dr. De La Hunta, the god of neurology in the United States, said the case is hopeless. He'd done everything that could be done, there wasn't mm. anything else that could be done
3: for mm-hmm. the dog. Mm-hmm.
1: Paralyzed, that's it. Mm. This veterinarian gets down on the floor and starts jabberwalking about um, Chinese medicine, and he studied this book that was 3,000 years old in China, and he had to leave because nobody in the United States knew anything about it. So he went to China, and he studied it, and he came back, and I'm like, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's all like, so what do I do now? So then he calls me over, and he says, I'm going to stick some needles in. These are very narrow needles they just slide right into the skin the dogs don't have a lot of pain and then he slides this needle in and he goes oh i want to show you this see if you pull this needle see how it doesn't come out how it pulls back mm-hmm. so that's because the acupuncture point needs that needle it's actually grabbing the needle to stimulate the the system
3: mm-hmm, and i'm mm-hmm. like
1: obviously the needle has a barb
3: you
1: <laughs> know?" <laughs> no problem yeah 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 obviously the needle has a barb yeah you know, don't yeah, whatever. But I'm smiling. You're know, like, oh, that's really interesting, you know. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. And so
1: he puts in these needles, and he keeps talking about acupuncture to me for a few minutes. And then after about 20 minutes, he takes out the needles. And he goes, come over here and fill this needle now. And he says, "And he says, grab the needle. And I grab the needle that had the barb on it, and it right. just slipped out. And so right. I'm like, where'd the barb go? Like, I don't understand. How, right. How's this happening? <laughs> and as we pull out the needles, mm-hmm. the dog sort of lifts its head up and looks back at us and then stands up walks across the room puts its head in the owner's lap wow. and i fainted yeah yeah wow i fainted. Yeah. i mean it's a freaking miracle yeah right? yeah so anyways i stayed with him for a week and saw one near fainting after another until finally i i was convinced that actually he knew something that i didn't know mm-hmm. and then so on the last day that i was there we we're having um, lunch and i'm eating my greasy double cheeseburger and he's eating his macrobiotic potato and I, and I, I said to him you know i I need to tell you, I came out here to get your license revoked. And I really thought that he was going to be super angry with me, punch me in the face, kick me out of the practice, all that kind of stuff. And he didn't even flinch. He said, well, what do you think now? And I said, well, I I think you should get the Nobel Prize. And -hmm. and he laughed and goes, so what's your problem? I said, well, I came out here under false pretenses. And he goes, and then all of a sudden he sits back and he crosses his arms. And I'm like, oh, man, he's about to let me have it. And then Mm -hmm. he goes, do you know what I think of you? I said, what? He said, you closed your practice, you flew across the United States because you thought I was abusing somebody's animal, and then you stayed here for a week on your own money to because you thought I was hurting people? He mm-hmm. says, I think you're a great guy. Mm-hmm. So he and mm-hmm. I have been best friends ever since, but nice. I changed my whole practice nice. when I came back. And I started studying orthomolecular medicine and, mm-hmm. and using glandulars and supplements, and mm-hmm. I, I just started introducing things. And the mm-hmm. first thing I introduced my practice was just um, this product by Vetroscience science called glycoflex mm. which is perna muscle and msm and you know just normal kind of a joint supplement right and the first thing I did with that was i took it myself because i had arthritis in my left knee mm-hmm. and you know within about four or five weeks my knee didn't hurt anymore mm-hmm. so i didn't need to take any non-steroidals and
3: mm-hmm.
1: after a year of using that product with my clients my drug company people would come in and go like you have a busy practice, but you don't buy hardly any nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm. You know, what's up with that? Do you mm-hmm. buy them from another company? I said, well, we just don't use very many because they have harmful side effects and we have um, natural stuff that works better. <laughs> and they were like, hmm, you know. Right. So that's kind of how, that's how I, I got into this. I Totally the wrong reason. I wasn't brilliant and founded. I wasn't raised with people who did it. Right. I thought it was complete BS. Right. And I literally wanted to put a guy in jail for doing it.
2: Right. Know? Right.
1: So, I, the outcome is more important than the rest of the story. Yeah. And what you call it, you know, like if you if you give a patient a natural product and their body works better, boy, some people get really upset about that. Like, oh my God, you know, that's not medicine, that's food. And then the food people say, no, that's a medical claim for food. Right. And then the FDA is in the middle of it and stuff. And it's like, geez, the dog couldn't go up the stairs and now he's eating that that perna muscle product and he's running and playing frisbee in the yard. Right. What's the problem with that? Why right. do people lose sleep over that?
0: You know, it's sad. It, it is sad. And, and you know, our patients, whether they be of the four legged or two legged variety, you know, end up suffering because of dogma of, because of you know financial interest and everything, and so at the end of the day, I agree. Medicine is medicine. It's what helps restore quality of life. It's what improves well being in patients. And you know, it's why I've gravitated to the term integrative because it's like there's a time, as you know, there's a time and a place for every therapy. And so I get a little frustrated with either side. The conventional system saying all oh, this. Whatever, again, whatever you want to call it, in natural alternative stuff is hogwash or the natural and alternative side saying all this conventional stuff is hogwash as well. There's a time and a place for all medicines. And I think, you know, where, where I'd like to see it evolve is, and this is the way I say it, you know, we have a pyramid, right? with With lifestyle and food at the bottom, with surgeries and heavy duty drugs at the top, and there's a gradation. And so it's, you know, when you assess the individual, and you look at what they need, and you look at, you know, how how the severity of the disease or the dysfunction, you're selecting the therapy that they need, always trying to get down as low as you can, where the fewest side effects are, where, you you know, where the true health promotion comes from. So, um...
1: and that's, a, and that's a key thing I, I mm-hmm. talk about it in terms of – I actually don't like pyramids because um, – mm. this is not a, a negative about your – No, no, your, no. Please. Um, but I actually don't like pyramids because they tend to put us in this um, symbolic thinking issue, which puts the most important thing at, t- at the top. Oh. Um
3: right. And
1: that's kind of this whole misogynistic male uh, authoritarian view of medicine, you Mm. know, where God is at the top and people are at the bottom. Mm, And, mm, you
3: mm. know, so
1: the substitute for God, whether he's a priest or he's an internal medicine department chair, whoever is at the top. Right, right. And I actually think that if we look at life Mm -hmm. and we talk about living well, Mm -hmm. with no disrespect to people's knowledge, I I think we can um, really disrupt a lot of this... uh, false thinking into a more global healing pattern by thinking in terms of circles. And the, and the mm. metaphor that I really like for medicine is an mm-hmm. umbrella. Mm. You know, we want this thing that stands between us and this philosophical idea of poor performing organs and function we call disease, you know, right? kind of like a storm. And if you have an umbrella and it, and it has medicine and surgery, and, you know, drugs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have it doesn't have. Herbs and acupuncture and chiropractic medicine and energetic medicine and mm-hmm. some degree of awareness of what a person's spiritual purposes and meanings are, whether you call that religion or spirituality or mm-hmm. whatever,
3: mm-hmm. it is
1: what it is. Um, if we don't, if we don't have all those parts in the umbrella, then if you stand in the storm, you're going to get wet sometimes. So we should be struggling to make patient-centered, community-based medicine where. Because no one doctor can know everything.
2: Absolutely. My God,
1: just take Chinese medicine. Take Chinese medicine, for example. Right. Chinese herbs. 9,000 Chinese herbs. Yeah. Now, those individual 9,000 herbs can be arranged into a a really nearly infinite pattern of medication strategies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a master herbalist... um, May know all nine thousand herbs, but they don't use them. And right. So we all become kind of micro specialists in our location. You know, like right. people in this area get these problems, and we know what helps them. Right. And but we're not from all diseases and all herbals. Homeopathic six thousand six hundred and some on individual remedies.
3: Mm-hmm. You know
1: who who are homeopath knows sixty six hundred remedies. Right, they just don't. Right, you know. Right, and, and so the idea of having the medical model with the one bright male doctor at the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. and everyone else bowing down to them just doesn't cut mustard with with reality. So right. I really right. like circles. I like to put the patient in the middle and then the healthcare team, which goes all the way from. The guy who's growing the food and transmitting the food to the corporations who are processing the food, right. to the researchers, to the pharmaceutical companies, to the individual practitioners, every single person is in that in that person's healing community. And if they're aligned towards love and health, and this is not just philosophical, if they're mm-hmm. aligned towards love and health, we end up with a whole, a functioning community mm. that actually that actually does more good than it does damage. Nice and and, and, and that model, to me, is the only thing that straightens it out. And, mm-hmm. and that's why doing this kind of research, you know, the first thing we find is it, it, you, can't, you can't even compare patients, right? Every patient has a unique microbiome. Mm-hmm. They have unique genetics in that microbiome. They have mitochondria, the part of the cell that makes energy, which I know you know, but yep. listeners might not, right? Yep, yep. The mitochondria makes energy, it has its own genes. Yes. Those are bacterial genes, not cell genes. Right. And the host nucleus, the control point for the cell, has its DNA and its genes. And we used to think that they were all fixed and that you were just your DNA. Yep. But we've proven that that's not true, right? right? right and and they all interact the genes move from the bacteria into the mitochondria from the mitochondria to the bacteria and even into the host cell genome so what you have in your body the players that make up your orchestra and their talents Mm -hmm. is different than what i have in my body right so if you get a skin rash on your face and your western doctor diagnosed that as seborrhea or psoriasis Your psoriasis case isn't my psoriasis case, right? So if you and I do a research, an objective research study, and we go, you have a rash on your face, and I have a rash on my face, and we test this drug, and it clears up, seven out of ten people have a rash on the face, and we go, that's a good drug. Right. So what about the three people that didn't clear up, right? And were those people cured, or were their symptoms just managed? Right. 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 Take those same people, put them on a detoxification diet, which is a healthy diet, mm-hmm. not a weird diet, just a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. And this patient's rash goes away when you remove pork, and this patient's rash goes away when you remove um, some other compound, right. maybe pesticides. You know, right, right. So, so the diseases are not the same, right? Even though they have the same Western name, they're not the same,
0: right? So, right. Yeah, and
3: that's I know. Crazy.
0: Yeah, we're in a hundred percent agreement that you, you know. It, it it's kind of the frustration or or you know when people grab a book you know of quote holistic cures or when they do research and they see this therapeutic regimen worked for this person with the same disease name as I have you know why isn't it working for me and the answer is well you know to, to to use your analogy we're looking at the weed that has sprouted but we're not looking at all of the all of the other factors that determine there and so if you have more or less all of the same factors as that other person then that same regimen would work more or less the same for you but if there are other issues at play then you're going to need a different regimen and so obviously this speaks to the fact that the new medicine, the type of work that you and I do, which I do believe is the direction that all medicine will be headed, is individualized. Not lip service to individualize, but actually truly individualized, which is hunting down the root causes of what's going on for that person and to your point from earlier, extends far beyond just simply what's going on in that one individual's body to everything that's going on around... Uh, sorry, I know I speak in people, you speak in... But we're coming from the, no, same, the, thing. Coming from the beings, same thing. We're coming from the same thing. Yeah. I
1: say I say beings are the capital B, meaning right. there's some intelligence of whether you want to... Use the chiropractic model and call it native intelligence or innate right. intelligence or, right. or right. use the homeopathic saying the vital force, whatever that is. There's some smarts behind live things. Well and the difference between a corpse
3: mm-hmm. and,
1: a, and a living person is whatever that is. And really funny thing, we're back to this words thing. You know, what mm-hmm. do we call
3: it? You know, mm-hmm. we call
1: it living well, call it that. Mm-hmm. I I have to tell you a quick story. Yeah. Um one of my jobs as as president of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Foundation
3: mm-hmm. is we're
1: raising twenty million dollars to do this research. Mm and we want to do this research for all the reasons we just discussed because yeah. when there's research knowledge is more understood and where it's more understood it can be applied and used and spread and right. so that's all good right. so one of my tasks actually was to talk to a, a veterinary school and help uh, them develop an integrated program in their school mm-hmm. and so they invited me in to a, a dean's ground rounds and they said you know you're going to come out and we're gonna, you're going to mandatorily every student and faculty has to come to your lecture and i was like well I don't like that anyways because when you tell people they have to do things, they don't like you. Right. But, but no, that's how we're doing this. It's okay. fine. Okay. So I went in and I presented a morning worth of lectures. And, and after that, then they sprung this thing on me. They said, Oh, we have the school skeptic. We want you to meet with him.
0: And I'm like, Oh, God. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. <laughs> oh,
1: God, you know? <laughs> and there's a difference between skeptics and deniers. And there's some people just no matter what you show them, they just deny. Well, right. it's coincidental. You right. had nothing to do with it. Right. And I didn't know who this guy was going to be. And it's kind of my worst case scenario. And being a skeptic and a denier myself, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, I- I'm going to have to talk to myself. This right. is going to be awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh uh-huh. and, and so I, I you know, put on my suit. I got all dressed up. I looked very conventional. Right. And in walks the skeptic. Right. He's wearing a freaking Hawaii shirt, which is what I normally live in. Right. Right. And i like, oh and I said to him first, I said, I dress all wrong. I said If I'd known you were coming I would have worn my Hawaii shirt. Yeah. And he was very serious and um and he said, he, you know, he he said, you know, I don't like what you do, and I don't approve of it. But they told me I have to talk to you, and I said, well, it's kind of the same thing for me. Right. And uh, right. So we're there, and there's a, another person that sort of stayed in the room as a as an intermediary mm. as we start to fight. Uh-huh. But it was actually the most surprising conversation I've ever had. Mm. I asked him, I said, what don't you like about um, alternative medicine? Yeah. And, started talking about a few things, all generalities. I said, mm-hmm. but tell me something specific. And he and he started talking about Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was not a Chinese trained doctor, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, he, and, and I just, I saw immediately what was upsetting him because mm-hmm. he's a pharmaceutical researcher. He's a pharmaceutical researcher. And when they say this word, she drives him nuts because he doesn't know what it is.
2: Right. Right.
1: So, said, Can I tell you a story? I said, I Used to hate that word chi.
3: Mm-hmm. People
1: would say chi, and my skin would just crawl. My neck would stand up because mm-hmm. I want to get a bottle of chi and look at it, what it is. And I said, right. I bet you're upset because they talk to you about chi, and you can't go to the pharmacy and get a bottle of USP chi right. and do on it. He goes, right.
0: damn straight. Uh huh. Uh huh. I said,
1: but can I tell you more? And he said, uh, sure. Now he's a little interested. Right. 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 So. I said, so I was really upset about that. I couldn't learn Chinese medicine. The whole thing, I'm trying to read it. Qi, damp, wet, hot. What the hell are they talking about? Right. And then, after failing to study Chinese medicine the first time, Mm -hmm. I met a a person who said, you know, Rick, the thing about it is you don't understand what Qi is. And I'm like, no kidding. Yeah. And when I asked the Chinese doctor, what is Qi, he smiles all knowingly and says, Qi is Qi. (laughs) (laughs) Which I want is strangling, but it's right. not acceptable. In our right. right, 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 right. So, so then this person says, "No, no, no. The thing you don't know about qi is how the word came about and what it means." And mm. I said, "Well, can you explain?" Somebody told me it's a the symbol is rice and steam, and but that doesn't help me with right. what is qi. Right. She said, "No, no, no. You will understand this in a minute." And I okay. said, "Okay. So what is qi?" She okay. said, "Well." So you have to go back in time when these guys are looking. These guys are trying to live forever. They're trying to study the difference between a dead person and a live person because they want to stay alive for longer. Right. And they notice there's a difference. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. The difference between the dead person and a live person is qi. Now, actually, the word qi mm-hmm. literally translates as stuff.
0: Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it okay. okay. It just means stuff. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. So people... People have different levels of health. Right. Because their stuff is different. Right. 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 And so when we talk in Chinese medicine about qi, we actually are talking about all kinds of different stuff that 3,000 years ago we didn't have names for. Sure. Wei qi, for instance, is the immune system. So it's mm-hmm. so the white blood cells. OK. Right. And so we have these things and we start to understand what the word means. That's it. So I explained to him, I said, the word "chi" just means stuff. Three thousand years ago, they didn't know about energy. They didn't know about electrons. They didn't know about any of this stuff. They right. just said, there's some stuff that's different. Right. And he looked at me and he smiled and he goes, that's the first time that's ever made any sense. <laughs> nice. Nice. Stuff. Yeah. So everything we have is stuff. Right. We're surrounded by stuff and there's right. good stuff and bad stuff. But stuff that's good for you may be bad for me. Right, right, right. So you may be able to eat bacon for breakfast. Right, no problem. Right, I can't. I get a rash in my armpit. Right, right. So, but there's not the same stuff in the bacon that you eat that the bacon that I eat. Right, my body right. just doesn't take it well.
2: Right,
0: you know, absolutely. So
1: attention
0: to that. Yeah, no, we're con- we're 100 in the same place that there needs to be individuality, and it's interesting, you know. Um, I, I know we have a couple of things that we really want to get to I'd like to cover before we uh, before we end this conversation today but um, you know it's interesting to me because we're seeing at least in the human world I'm, I'm curious in the veterinary world we're seeing this drive towards genomics uh, very much about you know it's it, even in the popular sphere i um, not sure if you've heard of this there's a company called 23andMe a lot of patients are coming in now having sent off for their genomes and then there are these uh, essentially analyzers on the, on the web different people have put together Together programs which um, can analyze you know some of the different uh, uh, essentially mutations that people have that may predispose them in various ways and so um uh, I'm sorry, I forgot where I, oh, uh, y- y- this drive towards genomic medicine and that we can, if we understand your genes, uh, we can individualize. And I think there is some truth to that, of course, but we know that it, most of the time genes are not destiny. Genes, uh, you know, uh, uh, shape essentially the road where we head down or at least the probability that we'll go down certain paths.
1: Right, and, and and because of epigenomics mm-hmm. we can impact the genes. Right. We know that those things make a difference not just not just for the person, right? But mm-hmm. you know, this, this is established fact that if you what happens um, six weeks prior to conception
3: mm-hmm. changes
1: how your genetic pattern turns on and not mm-hmm. just for you
3: right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
1: if your mother is undergoing severe stress and eating crappy food six weeks prior to congest- uh, c- congestion it's might be better, <laughs> actually might be a better word yeah, yeah. Better than before conception so before the sperm and the egg even meet mm-hmm. there's something going on in the body that's changing the genetic expression yeah it isn't just genes yes we know we know um from cloning because we've do cloning in veterinary medicine, Mm -hmm. that when you do a clone, they don't look the same, they don't act the same, they have different personalities, all this stuff. And we can't just say it's because their telomeres are shorter and they're biologically older, they're different dogs. So this idea that you are your DNA strand is just patently false. Right. And we need to do away with it, it's actually just part of you.
0: Right. You know? And we see that in human medicine in identical twin studies. So again, these are people who have the exact same DNA and they share similarities, but they're not, they're clearly not the same people. They can go, depending on their lifestyle, other factors that affect them, they can go on to develop different diseases. They can go on to develop different physiques. Uh, You know, some can be fat, some can be thin, some, you know, all of these things can be different um so we we know that it's only a piece of the story not the entirety right. of the story
1: and, and that brings us back to the community and in mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. if we talk about living well mm-hmm. and we talk about communities mm-hmm. we're we're really more in a modality of gardening than in warfare you yes. know yes and this brings back to the whole naturopathic idea of terrain yes. you know and that your body is actually a community that creates an, a sub, you know, micro environment where survival is optimized in these different patterns. And right. so, the bacteria, the viruses, the things that live in you yes. are actually helping you live better. Yes. And for the most part,
2: right? yes. And yes. The only
1: imbalance that creates these diseases, these separations in the balance and the way that the organs interact and the tissues interact and and so we know that obesity is transmissible by changing your microbiome. Yes. If I yep. take a fat person and I take the bacteria from them and I put them in a skinny person, they become a fat person. Right. That's pretty freaking amazing. Um, it's also pretty important, you know, if we're if we're doing microbiome transfers to treat inflammatory bowel disease, right. we better screen patients for obesity and allergies because we can transmit both obesities and allergies through the microbiome. Yeah. That isn't even the immune system. Yep. So – it is the immune system from well our- it is
0: oh yes absolutely you know i was uh i attended a, a lecture just recently from a microbiologist kind of de- getting down into the nitty-gritty of the interactions between the bacteria and the immune cells and and in essence uh we know that essentially the bacteria are responsible for training our immune system so without those bacteria our immune system gets the wrong goes to school and has bad teachers essentially and learns in incorrectly so again this idea that you, you, you know the, the western concept that we are we are islands into ourselves and and separate from our environment in every way shape or form you know the more we we have sort of the traditional wisdoms that tell us that that's false and then now even science which tries to tear everything apart and get to the individual components we're even seeing there that that whole concept is just breaking down that and yeah, I, yeah, I, had yeah. Co- I had a very
1: interesting. I had a very interesting conversation with an oncologist at a functional med- medicine meeting a few weeks ago. Uh huh. And I, uh, he he he, uh, discussed this topic, and I I ha- I don't have the paper, so I mm-hmm. haven't verified this. and I don't know if it's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And if somebody out there hears the podcast and knows the reference, please send me the paper. But yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, he actually said that uh, they can take a cancer cell and take the nucleus out of the cancer cell and put it in a normal cell. And it becomes normal. It doesn't. It it changes from from. And I, I don't have the paper, so I don't yeah. know. if This this I Put it in a cancer cell, then it, then it it stays. It, it it becomes a cancer cell. So the right. terrain of the cell is, is changing the way the genetics and the and the mutations and stuff manifest. So I I really love this paper. If I could find it, I think yeah. it's actually important concept to make this point about terrain. Absolutely, uh, but we know, we yeah. know, mm-hmm. you know, treating patients, we can't predict what a patient's gonna do when we treat a complicated disease like allergies, but we know that we have the path, you know? Right. And there's certain things. If we get the proper food into the patient, if we adjust their digestion, if we work with them to get, and that's so much more than just taking, uh, you know, probiotics, but, right. Right. but it, it's like we get that gut working, then the immune system starts to repair. Once the immune system starts to repair, then the other systems actually start to kick out toxic things, uh, repair tissues, and we get this kind of path towards healing, which is just like taking crappy soil when you move into a new house and augmenting the soil and growing different things on it until finally you get this rich soil that's full of worms and grows this beautiful garden. And everybody's like, wow, wow, you got a green thumb. Right. You've got to have something to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that the center core of medicine is becoming this terrain building. Yes. And we're gonna see a lot of personal health coaches that aren't just telling you you have to do 300 crunches a day, but actually makes a difference in what you're eating in your, in your, in your what you're putting in your mouth um, and how you're getting that. And then once that happens, people become interested in where it came from and how it was raised. And mm-hmm. then they start asking questions like, wow, um, a friend of mine did this test. They found out they had glyphosate in their urine and they go to their doctor and they say, well, what does that mean? And we go, we don't know because Nobody's done any research on what that level of glyphosate means. Mm -hmm. But the person says, but it's an antibiotic and it's a mineral chelator. Could that be having a negative impact on my health? Oh, and I discovered that it damages my mitochondria and that it alters the pathway in my liver that has to do with excreting toxins. I don't want that in my food. Who's the organic guy in this area? Can I find somebody who's raising food healthier? Mm -hmm. You know? This creates this, what we call ascension living,
3: mm-hmm. which is
1: actually this move up. I touch you, you touch me. We both become more um, um, more in alignment. That doesn't mean we agree. It mm-hmm. means that we're actually able to communicate about effective things. Love seeks truth. Truth once found shared helps conditions improve. And so mm-hmm. the whole economy from the soil and the air all the way up starts to ascend in this kind of politics and whether mm-hmm. we're talking ascension medicine or ascension politics mm-hmm. or ascension education instead of breaking everybody into these little groups and saying let's have black black people fight white people and latinos from mexico fight latinos from central america mm-hmm. how about we actually start going like what is it that you guys need and what resources do you have and how can we align those resources so that we all live better
3: absolutely and,
1: and, and there's a health model that goes with that as well yeah and in More people win than lose. Right. that's really what we're trying to do at the foundation, that American Holistic Veterinary Medical Foundation, Mm -hmm. Mm AHF.org. We're actually trying to do that. And the reason that I write poetry is I wrote scientific papers for a long time, and I Mm -hmm. changed a a few people. Mm -hmm. And I write poetry about love, trying to get people to wake up and realize that if they reach across the table and touch a person, that it changes their relationship. And if they change enough relationships, they can change their community. And they don't need mm-hmm. the government to do that.
3: Mm-hmm. Government
1: mm-hmm. will change in reflection to how we're operating. Yeah, and, and so it's not who we vote, and that's important, but it's not who we put in that changes our lives. It's what we do that makes a difference. Yeah. And that word condition – means what we've agreed with con means with diction is the same root word as dictionary Mm -hmm. so a person's condition a community's condition is what they've agreed to do and so if we agree to buy heavily processed food loaded with sugar packed full of glyphosate and a bunch of other chemicals Mm -hmm. then our body's gonna adapt to that we're gonna Mm -hmm. have a microbiome that tries to deal with all that
3: stuff Mm -hmm.
1: we're gonna Mm -hmm. get cancer we're gonna get Mm -hmm. these things so
3: Mm -hmm. how about
1: we improve that find out what's in the box Maybe not buy stuff if we don't know what all the names of all the chemicals are in there. Right, Eat more. closer to the earth, closer to where we live, closer to seasonal, and see what happens to people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now,
1: those mm-hmm. of us that practice that kind of medicine know a lot of people get healthy.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: That's not the
0: thing. So let me ask you, you know, obviously for, you know, conventionally trained MDs who start to or who are, you know, I uh, – so let me back up one second. I've seen in the human sphere that in the past 10 years – Uh, There has been there a sea change is coming. A lot of we're seeing a lot of people flipping. The public is starting to really catch on to this new this whole new system that we're talking about right here, or or different from from where we've been at. A lot of doctors, uh, MDs, are looking at what they're doing and saying, "Hang on, wait a second. There's got to be something more and better than what I'm doing." We're seeing the shift starting to occur. For a lot of MDs, of course, they then have to turn and fight against the system. They have to turn and fight against their colleagues. They have to turn and fight against their training. It can be a very hard step for them. So when you decided that you, know, you had your conversion experience here um, and you saw a different path and, and you knew it was going to set you on a different way, what was, what's the experience like in the veterinary world? What are the, you know, the, the conventional system there? How, how do they respond to, to this then and, and now?
1: Well, we have about, uh, 95,000 members of the American holistic, uh, excuse me. We have about 95,000 members of the mm-hmm. American veterinary medical association. That's like the equivalent of the AMA. Okay. Mm-hmm. The United States, but 95,000. Okay. Uh, the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association mm-hmm. has, uh, I don't know, I think they're approaching 2,000 members now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what's recently happened is that the American Veterinary Medical Association, mm-hmm. the conventional group, mm-hmm. has admitted the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association, the holistic group, yes, in the House of Delegates. And so we actually have holistic viewpoints on the policymaking body for the AVMA. Interesting. And as we develop more research,
0: mm-hmm.
3: I'm
1: proud to say that Colorado State University, my alma mater,
3: mm-hmm. had the
1: first integrative veterinarian and um, the first integrative department in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and as we do research that shows, hey, this works. And as we work alongside people who are who are scientifically skeptical but objective, as mm-hmm. opposed to having some special purpose, you
3: mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm.
1: Or may not be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you work for a company that manufactures a chemical that's toxic, you're going to do everything you can to discredit anyone who says that compound is toxic, and you could do something differently, right? Um, and, and so that's an issue, and we all have to deal with it. Yep. And then we have to deal with this really complicated issue of, of medical. Um, legal issues, you know, where people try and judge what a practitioner does, you know, in in integrative medicine, it's a lot messier, you know, you can say, here's standard of care for a person who's got otitis media, they've got a middle ear infection, you should treat them this way, right, and and an alternative practitioner may say, well, you've already done all that, and it's failed, so we need to actually look at this from a different viewpoint, right, let's try this approach, if it doesn't work, did the practitioner make a mistake, or not, Right. Right? right, and that's only important um if you're trying to discipline the the, the um, practitioner
3: mm-hmm. or
1: if you're trying to assign some numeric damages in the courts. Right. It really doesn't have anything to do with medicine. Right. It does. right. Because because we do have bad practitioners. We right. We have bad Western practitioners and we have bad Integrative practitioners
3: absolutely and now that this
1: word integrative medicine is popular There's a lot of people attaching integrative medicine to their yellow page ad or whatever right integrative practices They give vitamin C to every patient,
2: you know, right? right. There's a
1: difference between someone who's been doing it for a long time and someone who hasn't right so as we do more research as we exchange information in these professional circles
3: mm-hmm.
1: as we associate with highly trained and respected specialists like mm-hmm. uh, you know that my favorite oncologist in Los Angeles has been picked as the top oncologist in the United States. Mm. And you know, she doesn't work in my practice. She has her own practice, uh-huh. but we share patients. And mm. I took her to lunch a few years ago and I said, can you say that what we do makes a difference? And she said, Rick, I don't know what you do. I don't understand what you do. Mm-hmm. I just know that when your patients come to see me, they s- seem to do better. Right. But I can't document, I can't say it scientifically. Right. And we have a- intensely close relationship. We share patients with the internal medicine people, mm-hmm. with the other people. it all it all works out to be really, really uh, uh, important.
0: Mm-hmm. And- so there can be a lot of animosity. In terms of, of, you know, in in the human medicine world for integrative practitioners, obviously, when you first encountered that uh, the doctor who was doing integrative veterinary care in New York, you were obviously very, very hostile. Do you find um, you generally many vets are giving you the same kind of, of hostility or is there a little more openness in general in the veterinary field?
1: Oh, there's lots more openness now. Okay. I mean, we literally, we're literally sitting in a situation where, you know, uh, 20 years ago, uh, people just said, no, that's crazy. We're going to do it. Uh There's uh, alternative medical topics presented at almost every major respected meeting. Uh, I'm speaking uh, with a uh, co-lecturer in Orlando, Florida in November, Mm -hmm. and we're talking about microbiome and mitochondrial medicine for six hours. Wow! You nice. Know, she's a, she's a DVM PhD. She did mm-hmm. original AIDS research before she became exclusively an integrated holistic practitioner. Doesn't mm-hmm. even do conventional medicine anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about we're talking about high level science stuff. And as that as we start to understand what that stuff is,
3: mm-hmm.
1: the more we understand that stuff, then the more people are willing to listen to what it is that we have to say, and they're like, oh. They're not talking about chi. They're talking about, you know, epigenetics, and this is this is oh, this is interesting. This is not just garbage.
0: Right. So right. That's what we're seeing. Nice. Well, it's good to see we're seeing the same changes. So, I, I know. This may sound obvious, but I just asked this question for people completely new to the idea of holistic veterinary care. I mean, the essence we're saying is the same things that can make people sick or well, like diet, like lifestyle, like making sure exercise, like stress levels, um, like, you know, the community that people are surrounded with, um, That that pets and dogs and cats and things can use herbal medicines. They can use things like acupuncture and chiropractic, the same kind of Integrative therapies, uh, more or less, that work for humans, also can can make a huge difference for difference for our, our four legged and, and and other companions as well, right? You no, know, absolutely, and and we're seeing
1: that we're seeing actually this happen. You know, at uh, Louisiana State University, they have a very active integrative department, mm-hmm. uh, mostly Chinese medicine and acupuncture uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, for equines and uh, for dogs and cats and. Goats and chickens and all those kinds of things. Right, and they're actually doing research there. Um, we're seeing um, we're seeing that like Western University here, uh, Western University of Sciences is a veterinary school in Pomona.
3: Mm-hmm. They
1: have a, a lot of uh, elective tracks, so students actually can do. Um, 30-day rotations in integrated practices like mine.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they can actually take certification courses. So a, a couple of years ago, one of the students that graduated uh, was on the acupuncture certification course before she graduated from veterinary school. Mm-hmm. She'd already been accredited um, um, or certified, rather, as a veterinary homeopath.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: she was graduating with two with two specific modalities and her DVM before she left school.
3: Nice. So that's
1: that's becoming easier. And, uh, you know, as people work side by side, mm-hmm. most, uh, well, I shouldn't say most, many um, board certified specialty referral practices now have an acupuncturist or an integrated practitioner on board because mm. they realize that it's making a difference.
3: Mm. Mm. Um,
1: and it's also economically desirable to have somebody like that because a lot of people are going like, do you have anybody that can do this? And if not, then the business is going to another practice.
0: Sure, sure. No, and that's
1: a- that model makes a difference. You Absolutely.
0: Know? Yeah. Yeah. No, so you brought up an interesting point before we started recording, which I thought was funny. We always, we, we, you know, whether it's Facebook videos or, or whatever, there's always the idea that uh, a person and their beloved pet mirror one another so that those those memes, right, people look like they're dogs or they, they all these kind of things. Right. And you were saying the idea that, that pretty commonly you're seeing that the issues that are plaguing a person's pets, whether that's diabetes, obesity, other health problems are often mirrored. We're seeing that the, their human companion um, often has many of the same issues themselves. You want to speak to that a little bit?
1: Well I, and you know we're back to that big concept which is you know where my poetry comes from which right. is love seeks truth truth shares shares builds communities and things improve and so what what happens is uh, the flow is a person goes to a holistic practitioner and gets help with something they couldn't get and then they go like hey my dog has this Right. Do veterinarians do that? It also goes the other way. Right. And I think it actually may go the other way a lot more commonly.
2: Mm.
3: And
1: here's my thinking on that. Okay. This has never been studied, so don't take this subjective fact. Sure, sure, sure. But my personal experience says that a lot of people come to veterinarians and ask for alternative medicine for their dogs and cats. Because they want to find out if it works and it's, mm. it's kind of like uh mm. unofficial animal research right 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 so like sure. if, if the vet kills my dog then i'm not going to go to the acupuncturist but right. if my dog gets better then i'm going go to go right no fair and, yeah and it's yeah. very it's very pragmatic you know are you going to turn your if if you're not sure about something are you going to take your kid to that doctor or are you going to take your dog to that doctor?
2: right sure and, sure
1: and I, I see this a lot and so when I first started doing it, because there weren't very many holistic doctors many, many years ago, yeah. then you know people would ask me, and they go, like, what can I do? And I got in this very uncomfortable position of saying, like, look, I'm a DVM. I can't treat you unless you can lick your behind, <laughs> And if you can't, I don't want to see it. Right, but, right, right, right. Long and short of it is now we have a lot of holistic practitioners. Yeah. When I first started practicing – there wasn't another holistic practice. Um, it was over ten miles to the next alternative practice. Mm-hmm. Now there's eight holistic practices within eight miles of my practice. Fascinating. You know that's mm-hmm. yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's definitely growing, mm-hmm. and uh, and so what happens with people is. The dog starts getting better, and mm-hmm. then they start becoming more self-aware. That's this whole Ascension uh, medicine, Ascension living thing. Right. You fix the problem in the dog with food and herbs, and then the person says, Hey, I've got this pain in my stomach. What do you think that is? And they say, Well, that's the area where your liver is. You should see a doctor. Here's a right. person you could see if you don't have one. Right, right. And, uh, and so what we've found in conversations with the holistic practitioners is is when a person's enrolled, um, seeing their holistic physician, and then um, their their dog or their cat or their animal is getting therapy, mm-hmm. both patients seem to get better faster. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways, some things that happen, as you know, with alternative medicine can be scary. Like, mm-hmm. it's, say you start a supplement and you get a headache and diarrhea.
3: Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. a bad
1: reaction to the supplement? Or are you just moving some stuff? You know, you got congested extra cells in matrix and your right. nerve things are going, hey, stuff's moving. I right. shouldn't fly or drive for a couple of days. Right.
2: Right, right. right.
1: And and, or maybe your doctor is moving stuff too quickly and you need to make adjustments, you know, better remedies and so forth. But when the first time a person takes a a supplement and then they go to the bathroom and have bright purple poop,
3: (laughs) they freak (laughs) out. Sure, of course. he go of like, course. well,
1: yeah, the, I don't know what that is. It, there's no purple in what we're doing. But right. obviously there's some purple in you and your right. body doesn't need it anymore. So that's good that it's coming out. Right. Now, if it gets bad or you feel uncomfortable, call me. Right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: if their dog has had purple poop for three days and then felt better and then the skin lesion cleared up afterwards, then when they go to their doctor and they have purple poop, they're just going like, oh, it's purple poop.
0: Right. 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 <laughs> right. They right. don't get scared. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it's mutually reinforcing. And again, we live in communities. So when one member, uh, uh, ideally here, I mean, what we see happen all the time, right, is when one member of a community gets better, one of two things happen, it will bring up the whole community. Well, rather, one of several things happen. Right. The community acts to drag that person back down to, their, to the, the previous level of health. That's always, the, in my opinion, the worst case scenario. Someone's getting better. Uh, then we start seeing sabotage on the part of family and friends and people around them to bring them back down to their previous level. Um, the second, of course, is they'll eject some people from the community. So again, that person is dedicated to getting healthy. They're finding some people are sabotaging them, and then they go through the painful process of having to distance themselves from those the people who, who can't abide by that or they bring up the level of other people around them and so that's the magic of course right you know stereotypically mom gets better starts feeling better then kids get uh, uh one way or another get dragged into it then kids start feeling better than getting better uh the funny story is right mom gets better Kids get better. Then usually grandma or somebody else in the family gets better. Then usually the dog gets better. And then, of course, the, the you know, then finally dad comes in and is like, yeah, I guess I better do that too. And then dad gets better Yeah, and men as are the well. worst. Yes. I, you
1: know, I think I, every holistic practitioner that I talk to, yeah. Once wants to have a practice that's made up of like women age thirty-five to to sixty-five, right? Because they're they're the whole world sits on their shoulders. Absolutely, right? they're doing everything. You yes. Know? Yep. They're making everything work, and they know that if they can't make it work, that they're going to have a problem. So they're very they're very um, um they're very rewarding practice. Uh, Patients to work with because they know that and the same right. is true for veterinary medicine are our, our best clients and this mm-hmm. there's exceptions to mm-hmm. this, right? Sure, sure there's but but if you just look at the numbers of people if we have these women um, and, and it's I, it's younger because if we have if we have um, holistically aware women who are of any age. Yeah, bringing in the pet then they're more receptive to doing the, the work yeah. guys tend to be like here's some pills. I'll give them for 10 days. But after that, I'm busy and I'm not going to keep doing it and, right. You know, and so it's it's a bigger it's a bigger issue because when we're building health, it's different than treating symptoms. We're yes. we're actually in for the long haul, yes. fixing that terrain. Yes, as, as you know, and yes, and uh, it's not that women are less intelligent and more um, submissive because in my practice, that's that's definitely not the case. Oh and no, I'm not very at all. authoritative. Yeah. I'm like if this doesn't make sense to you and you don't want to do it, then it may not be the right treatment. So right. let's find out what makes sense to you that you can say like, oh yeah, I can do that. Right. And and uh, that that's really important because if you tell a person this is the diet you have to feed and they can't do it, then you just told them they can't get well, and they usually get right. mad.
0: Right? Oh, absolutely. You have to find
1: a way to. We have to find a way to health to that that they can do. You know.
0: Oh, well, definitely. I mean, look, the, the again, whatever term you want to use it, but the integrative approach or more foundational approach, if you will, taking care of these issues really calls for a lot more A, intelligence on the part of the patient. It's not so simple. Like you said, the stereotypical man who comes in is just like, I got my stomach hurts. Give me the thing. I'll take the thing. But then I want to be done with the thing. I want to get back to my life and like, leave me alone. I don't want to. Yeah, and I want to go back to drinking bourbon right. and smoking right. again. Right. I just need
1: something to fix it. You right. Know? And you're like, well, oh, wait. Hold on. Right.
0: And so women, you know, again, in in a bigger discussion, but I think by their evolutionary context and their role in society and everything else, they see connections better um, and they're aware of patterns throughout their community around them. And and again, they are the center point. So absolutely. I find that, you know, again, you can make the biggest change uh, that ripples out by. Getting to the women, especially to our earlier point, I'm a really huge proponent of preconception care. If you can get a woman healthy, you can detox her, you can get her nutritional status really good, you can get her immune status in good shape, you can get her microbiome in good shape, then you you can positively affect – Ge- for generations down the line, you know there was right, either- like three yeah. to seven
1: generations. Right. you just change three to seven generations of genetics. Right, how those genetics are turned on and turned off—it's—it's a—it's a huge thing. It's not a little thing. Right, I, I know you know. I'm just like no, I
0: get frantic th- about this. Ab- absolutely, you know, we—I had a discussion a number of podcasts back where we we're talking like really from a public health perspective, and now public health is so tricky because it's looking at the po- populations as a whole and and what's important important for a population as a whole, may be completely wrong for certain individuals in that population. That comes back to the, the topic of individuality we talked about. But when we look at populations as a whole and we say, how do we build healthier populations of people? We come to the conclusion that really the bulk of public money spent on healthcare currently is spent on people towards the end of their life. You know, the, the right. statistics are in yeah. the, the last year of life, you know, the majority of the money will be spent. But really, in trying to build a healthy population, where should the money really be spent? It's in childhood and it's kind of up into childbearing years for women that if you invested the majority of money there, that we would see, you know, it would be bad for all for people right now, the older folks and everything. But a generation or two down the line, we would see that those effects rippling out. So. And, and you
1: know, fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we are in our hour, but yeah. I, yeah. many years ago I was mm-hmm. going to speak at a national lecture and mm-hmm. I was on the airplane. I ended up seated next to a, a congressman. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, uh, the universe has aligned me to have the opportunity <laughs> to speak to this person uh-huh. and, and share uh, how we can reform, not dismantle healthcare,
3: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, and so so we started the whole conversation. And within a few minutes, um, this person was explaining to me how the healthcare system worked so well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is why. Because we have a population that grows. And if we don't have patients getting sick and uh, and, and dying, mm-hmm. the population will overpopulate. And mm. and then he went on further to explain to me, because I wasn't a very sophisticated mind,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that the country's economy really depended on people being sick. Mm. And such a large amount of money was generated by illness for people who weren't productive citizens in other ways. Right. This was sort of how a person paid their way was by being ill.
2: Mm. Now,
1: besides wanting to vomit for the entire flight. Yeah. Is obviously, for somebody who's interested in healing and creating health, mm-hmm. um, this idea that you know letting people get sick intentionally so they would die faster and they would generate revenue for a system
2: mm.
1: was pretty repugnant to me. Right, right. Uh, but there is a very large number of people that I have encountered that belief system from. It, they won't tell you right out, but when you actually start talking about it, I think it's a big unspoken um Part of why the healthcare system is so hard to change. Yeah. There are people who actually believe that we need more people to die. Mm. I've heard very highly placed politicians say, you know, we have enough doctors, we have enough lawyers, you know, we need more workers. And,
3: mm-hmm. you know, mm. and,
1: and that there's actually a problem with the retirement system because people live longer now. You know, when, right? when right. Social Security was established, people lived two years and died. Right. You know, that right. Right. Worked. You know, you you get Social Security at 65 and you're supposed to die by 68 or some number like that. Right, right, right. Um, And so now we have Social Security and people are living another whole lifetime on Social Security. So it's better for the system if they die faster. And uh, yeah, Yeah. so so we have to realize that there are these unspoken kind of – viewpoints about things and and my thing is that i think we need to work to make people live better more constructive lives you know when they're healthy they don't stop being productive they actually start new businesses they go out and they do other things and so to me it's about building terrain and about using the resources that our people um represent so that they can live healthy happy lives and the same thing's true for dogs you know my Mm -hmm. my my one of my dogs died two years ago. She was 20 years and five months.
3: Mm. She had
1: a terminal mm-hmm. event at 16 and a half, and we mm-hmm. thought she was going to die every day for the next four
3: years, mm-hmm. <laughs> two, mm-hmm.
1: four more years. Um, and uh, the one that I, one of my dogs right now is 16, and he's a you know he's a Labrador, and he's starting mm-hmm. to have some trouble with incontinence. And
3: mm-hmm. you know we
1: we kept him going, and he's on a home cooked diet, and mm-hmm. he used to have chronic skin problem, and his skin is good, and he's doing fine. But he's 16, and he's starting to wear out.
3: You yeah,
1: know? yeah. Um, so we have to. We have to see what we can do, but we see all these older patients that are that are living pretty good quality lives. I, I don't know. We need to do the same thing for people. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to working together. Uh, have you read this book called
0: Zobiquity? I was going to ask you about that. I thought that was a great for anyone out there who hasn't heard of it. The concept of like human medicine and veterinary medicine need to get together and talk to one another because each can inform the other. Uh, And I think that's an absolutely wonderful concept. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on it? Dr. Mm -hmm.
1: Barbara Natterson Horowitz, she's a cardiologist who was asked to do work on gorillas because she's such a brilliant cardiac imager. Mm -hmm. And she started meeting veterinarians and uh, started – doing away with some of the uh, fixed ideas she had about veterinary medicine realized we do some pretty sophisticated stuff. Right. But she also realized we did some things differently than they did in human medicine. And Mm -hmm. I got the opportunity to lecture with her two years ago at UCLA. And Mm. um, we had just a really wonderful day talking back and forth about um philosophical spiritual and then also academic issues there's there's now an annual meeting called Zobiquity where the top human practitioners meet with the top veterinary practitioners and they mm-hmm. start exchanging information so mm-hmm. i think the same thing is true you know th- this is all what communities do communities talk right and anytime somebody tries to break up communication within a community they usually have some kind of less than constructive purpose right the more we connect with one another that's it um i love this concept and there's evidence for it i mean good papers about community medicine which are just these groups of patients that meet it scares the hell out of physicians because you know (laughs) patients have a problem and they're not getting better at the physician they start talking to one another and one says oh you know i had that they need to do this test because you might have this problem right and they found that people who do that get better faster right and they have fewer medical mistakes and then when they have medical mistakes they're they're less likely to be more harmful because they're picked up quicker. Yeah, and I think that makes us be better doctors. Yeah, and I think that makes patients be better patients. Instead of just being pill consumers, they become like, oh, I, I don't want to spend all this money on this medication. How about I kind of change the way I'm exercising, change the way I eat? Maybe I can yeah. go see this crazy doctor over here that my friend told me about. And right. yeah, and then, right, and it's like yeah, it, it's just better. You know? yeah.
0: It's just, it's just better. Well, absolutely. And, and we need to wrap up here in just a minute. So I know there's a couple of things we haven't gotten to and I'd love to get you on again and have a second conversation because I know I'm just gonna tease everyone out there. Uh, Dr. Palmquist and I were talking before we started about some of the work around over-vaccination in pets and, and measuring titer levels and how to judge some of these things. So we'll definitely have him on again uh, in the future to talk about that and more. Um, to your point, I just, just briefly, and may, again, maybe this is a great conversation next time, at least in the human world, so there's laws out there many people have heard of called HIPAA, which is all about personal privacy and protection of medical records. The idea that your personal medical information should be private, shouldn't just be shared or available out there, and you should have the ability to be able to see that. Because back in the day before HIPAA, you could ask your doctor, hey, um, you know, can I have my chart? Can I have my records, the things that you're writing about me? And the doctor could just say, no. It's mine. it belongs to me, not to you. Um, so and that's all fantastic. One of the negative downsides we're seeing though is that everything is so protected that there isn't that ability to facilitate people getting together, sharing their information and talking to one another. And so it has to happen often in more informal ways, the Internet being one of those major ways we see, you know, uh, you go out there and search pretty much any medical condition uh, and you'll find groups. and and chat boards and things and people talking about it. But the conventional system has a real hard time sort of facilitating that both philosophically, but then also just these laws that have been put in place with good intention uh, do get in the way as well. And so, Yep, absolutely.
1: I mean, there's a million things, uh, you know, the more people we have, the more um, issues we have to protect their, love and freedom and their ability to function in this society. And people uh, should have a flexibility about what they share and what they don't
2: share. Absolutely.
1: Especially about that. You know, in in our profession, we're less – we have uh, HIPAA-like laws, but they're Mm -hmm. not nearly as as tooth-filled as the ones that you guys have. Right. We don't talk about patients. Um, We don't share information unless the – client requests the records be sent somewhere. Right. But clients can get a copy of their chart and all that kind of stuff. That's all
3: that's
1: all that's all appropriate. Right. And then what they share of that is their kind of their thing. Right. And and I think if we want to get more organized about this, um we we need um better patient wikis. And by what I mean by that is like a place where a practitioner can go and say, I have this patient and the patient has this problem and I treated it this way and the outcome was this. Right. Right. Without without Giving the person's name just so that they can just it can just go up as a case, right. but that's cross-referenced back to that practitioner, so a researcher can say, "Look, um, we've got 100 people with asthma that have been reported to respond to this treatment. We would like to do a clinical trial. Can we do that now? And and can we actually see the documented records to make sure people are obviously just entering that they're making patients better?" You know? Right. Right. Um, there's a, there's a wiki like that for veterinary medicine that was started a few years ago. Interesting. And, Mm-hmm. And I think that a pro. I think that, um, I think that there's a way to do it, but I just don't know how because it's outside my area of specialty. Right.
0: right. Well, I think you know, in a good way, we're seeing some of the evolving technology around medicine. Um, and we're seeing that it, when that works properly, it's facilitating that communication. It's facilitating a lot of these positive things. So I'm hopeful. Uh, that that you know, a lot of that will continue to come together and continue to make things better for people. Well, we're pretty much out of time. Uh, We need to wrap up this conversation for today, Rick. So before we go, uh, we, we there's a lot left to talk about. But if someone is intrigued by this idea of, hey, wait a second. Yeah, that makes sense. If I'm getting holistic care, maybe my loved ones, maybe my pets should be getting the same kind of holistic care. So how is there a way like it does someone just hit Google and look, type in holistic vet, or how do they find people um, who, who resonate with this approach? A couple things. First,
1: okay. go to ahvma.org. Okay. That's the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association.org. Okay. okay. And type in, um, just go to the find a holistic vet, and you can click on that, and they'll mm-hmm. tell you people who are ahvma members that are in your area. Mm-hmm. That just means that they paid a membership thing. It does not say how competent they are, or how good right. they are. Right. Um, where we have. Uh, service provider rating services like yelp
2: mm-hmm.
1: um that's another mm-hmm. tool to look at mm-hmm. realize nobody likes everybody right so you always have negatives that are up there right um but the but if you kind of look at that and see the flavor of the posts that are there that's great and then yep. use people who are animal resources in your community go to the holistic uh the holistic uh store mm-hmm. uh talk mm-hmm. to people at the health food store mm-hmm. get some names go to the dog park uh, find out the people that the people that are um well reputed Mm -hmm. generally have a reputation for a reason right and uh, that doesn't mean they're god they probably step in puddles and get their feet wet like everyone else does Mm -hmm. that means some cases they do better some cases they do worse but um, that's it and then uh um, if you do those things, usually you're going to find somebody and you go in and then you sit down and you trust your heart. If you start talking to me like, I hate this guy. Don't yep. stay. Yeah, right? don't stay. Yeah. Um, but if you if you're just like, I don't like the word chi, and he keeps saying chi, then you have to kind of go like, what what's really going on here? You right,
0: know? right, right. Yeah, 100 yeah, percent behind. Listen, uh, you know. True healthcare practitioners—it's we, we, a relationship. It's not just a one-off. Like you're going to go in, uh, they're going to, you know, uh, replace the timing belt on your car, and then you you never need to see them again. And true healing is is about relationships, as we've been talking about. And ultimately, you know, you have to uh, get along with the person you're going to be working with, or it's it's going to be a bad fit. I mean, we see this time and again. We can be deploying the correct, quote unquote, the correct medicine. But without the correct relationship in place to surround the use of those medicines, the results are always, always subpar. So make sure uh, that 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 person, that (laughs) practitioner…
1: Mm-hmm. And my my dad used to my dad used to say um, mm-hmm. if a physician tells you trust me grab your pants and run. <laughs>
2: so
1: I actually never use the word trust in my relationships because mm-hmm. I think respect is better. Yeah. Like if you're seeing somebody and they have knowledge and they give you knowledge and you do better, then respect gets built. Right. And I think if we build those relationships that way, I think that's that's the optimal way to to function. Absolutely.
0: All right, Dr. Palmquist. How about if someone wants to seek you out? Where can they find you? Where on the internet? Uh, anywhere where should they look for you? Um, well, my website is, uh, my, my business website mm-hmm. is
1: L-O-V-A-P-E-T dot com. Okay. Uh, Animal Hospital in Inglewood, California. Okay. Uh, the foundation, we're raising $20 million for research in integrative medicine, is www.ahvmf, like foundation.org. dot org. Okay. And then if you're looking for a holistic veterinarian, ahvma. find holistic fat. Mm -hmm. That'll get you around someplace and, uh, Hope to see you up the track. I'd love to talk about vaccines and vaccine titers. With absolutely,
0: you too. we'll get we'll have another we'll get another time scheduled so you and I can absolutely talk about that. I know people will be very interested. Uh, pretty much not a more controversial topic on the planet uh, as far as medicine right now. So uh, it'd be a good conversation. All right, so um, I highly recommend check out uh, Dr. Palmquist, his resources. He's also very active on Twitter, which is where I first found him. So you can look for him there. We'll have all the links in the show notes. And until we talk again. Uh, Dr. Palmquist, thank you so much for being on. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as an A S. 7849. You can set up that free 15 minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.